live and thank you anyone who's decided to watch this back you might be watching it through youtube or listening to it through 12 of the podcast channels and of course on facebook so thank you very exciting show today because it's on a subject that is close to all of our hearts and it's around the subject of sustainability and um we're going to be talking about that quite quite broadly about the subject of sustainability but our expert today aileen ryan Aileen, A-I-L-E-N, Ryan, R-Y-A-N. You'll find her on LinkedIn. She's actually CEO of uh, Preoptima. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit um, because it's quite exciting what they're doing in the in the built environment. And so um, welcome, Aileen. Lovely to see you uh, here with us. Um, before we um, get going, I'm going to give a little bit of context if you've not watched one of our podcasts before. Thomas and I um, record these twice a month and we're interviewing experts. And the reason we do this is because a lot of us spend our time looking for clients. And I know that that's very important, but actually there's nothing more important than making sure you've got the right supplies so that your business is doing the right thing and is productive and efficient and is marketing itself well. So all the experts that we bring to you will help you to have a, a better business in many, many ways. And we find our experts within our community, BIP100. BIP100 stands for Business is Personal 100. And Business is Personal is a philosophy that Thomas and I have held for well over 25 years in our world of looking after business owners within communities. So BIP100 is our community, which will never have more than 100 members in it. And we bring ourselves to it and very much um, spending time with our members connecting them supporting them helping them grow in various ways so um, that's my blurb about us and why you are listening to this particular show but now let's get on to the subject here um, now let's start with uh, Aileen you want to help us understand a little bit about the context of why you are so passionate about sustainability and what's brought you to this part of your journey in life Thanks, Penny, and thanks for inviting me to do this. Um, it's been actually really useful for me personally to rethink my journey and how did I get here? How did I arrive at this point? Um, so my first of all, I suppose, why am I passionate about sustainability? Well, I live on a planet that um, where humans have played a not particularly positive role, particularly over the last, let's say, 100 years. But to, to kind of wind the clock back, um, almost 20 years ago now, I watched Al Gore's first documentary movie, which was called An Inconvenient Truth. And if anybody hasn't watched that and the sequel to it, I, I strongly recommend it. It's just a fantastic piece of documentary movie making. And I found it tremendously um inspiring but also sobering because he's so clear on the facts of what we are doing to our environment and crystal clear that it is humans it's human activity that has has started to cause put us on a path towards potentially climate catastrophe and having watched that movie quite shortly after it I remember I was at a, a very lovely dinner in a very lovely restaurant and I was chatting about this movie to a woman that I didn't know and she absolutely stunned me by saying but that's not real you know 
climate change isn't really happening. Climate's always, you know, got hotter, got colder. It's just a natural cycle. Al Gore, you know, that's just incorrect. And it really stunned me. And I and I kind of got into an argument with her about it because for me, that movie had been so compelling and so convincing that I now was on the side of, I can't believe you're denying this. Um, and I, I think and hope that by now, 20 years later, almost nobody um, is able to deny climate change or deny the link with human activity and, and climate change. We see all around us in, in the world unseasonal, unseasonable weather patterns, storms, hurricanes, extreme heat like last week in Spain, 40 degrees in Spain in April, like that's just unheard of, um, or, or even last summer in the UK and across Europe. So I think that climate change denial has gone away. In 2009, I was lucky enough to sail uh, across the Atlantic with my brother from uh, New York to back to the UK. And that was an amazing trip on so many different fronts. But one of my memories was that hundreds of miles out into the ocean, we were still seeing plastic pollution. So we were seeing the remnants of helium balloons, for example, is one of the things that, that really just stayed with me after that trip, that, that the impact of human activity was visible in a place where, you know, there were no humans around for days on end. And yet there were signs of human destruction of our world in, in, that, in that place, kind of in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And that was a reminder to me that, yeah, you know, it's maybe you need to do something, right? So having having listened to Al Gore back in 2005, 2006, I, you know, that idea had, I had allowed it become dormant effectively. So since then, I've had a, a little boy and I would say motherhood has really made me think again about the state of the planet that I'm leaving, that we're leaving for the next generation. And so I, I uh, embarked on, on educating myself. In, uh, there's um, an institution called the Cambridge uh, Institute for Sustainability Leadership, CISL, which they call SISL, which I think is quite nice. Um, and, and so I undertook some kind of education there. And there I really learned about the effects of climate change on food and water security, on public health, on our children, on the economically disadvantaged around the world. Uh, and the impacts of climate change are very severe and unfortunately disproportionate. So the wealthy nations are not suffering at all um, to the same extent as the developing nations where we're seeing, you know, devastated crops of wheat and vegetables and fruits heat illnesses, um, and, and still an enormous number of people living in poverty. And, and they're not the people, or they're the people who are probably least responsible for climate change, but they're disproportionately affected. And so I, in the last few years, have really focused my energies, both personally and professionally, on this area of sustainability and how we can make a difference for the planet and for the generations that come after us. Wow, is that has to be one of the most substantial answers, uh, providing so much context but so much depth to why this matters to you. It's not like you just decided to 
pick up a, a banner and go up to London and say, <laughs> I care about, you know, this is deep commitment you've got here, Aileen. And, and so actually, I'm really curious that um, there's this Paris Agreement focused on 2050, um, which, you know, as a lay person, passionate about lots of things, but certainly not about the depth of knowledge that you have. This is um, getting so much attention now. So can you just give us a little bit of an understanding of this Paris Agreement and also, you know, why, why there is um, so much to attention on this 2030 point? Yeah, you're right, Penny. And, and it is a source of confusion, I think, that we talk about 2050 for the Paris Agreement, but a lot of our actions and activities are focused on a different date, which is 2030. So the Paris Agreement was signed back a number of years ago, five or six years ago now, and it was all of the larger nations in the world coming together as they do from a political point of view and really making commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions so that by 2050 we we on a global basis stay under another magic number which is 1.5 degrees of warming so uh, now 1.5 degrees doesn't sound like a lot in fact you know if you go outside today and it's 14 degrees and you go outside tomorrow and 15 and a half degrees it's barely noticeable really uh, for for a, a human being but on a planetary basis, that's a very meaningful number. And it doesn't mean that the whole planet everywhere is just, you know, temperatures are just generally going to rise by 1.5 degrees. Unfortunately, just the way that the geography and the mechanics of our globe work, it means that some areas will be much warmer and some areas will be much colder. So we'll see an um, exacerbated melting, for example, of of ice caps because those areas should be very cold and they're going to get warm and as a result of that we'll see impacts on for example ocean currents like the gulf stream and so even though 1.5 degrees sounds like it hardly would make a difference in fact the difference it's going to make to our societies globally are are you know literally catastrophic so 1.5 degrees global warming is like an absolute limit that nobody would ever want to go above that point so the the leaders political leaders came together and said okay let's set ourselves a, a goal that we're going to by 2050 stay underneath below 1.5 degrees of global warming now what what Coming back from that, you know, what would be the milestones and the project plan in effect that we would need to deliver in order to know that by 20, because we're not just going to leave it till 2049 and say, right, what are we going to do now, boys and girls, right? We need to make a much more deliberate uh, progress towards those goals so that we know that we're on track and we can course correct if we're not. And 2030 is a particularly important big milestone and one of the reasons why 2030 is a, a big milestone is because um there's there's an asymmetry in um in climatic effects so if we put a ton of carbon into the atmosphere today and we say yeah that's okay because we're working on technologies which will allow us in 20 years time to suck that one ton of carbon out of the atmosphere again so it'll all be okay because technology is going to be able to solve it in the future 
that that sounds like it's logical but unfortunately between now when we put, emit that ton of carbon and 20 years time when we hope and, and expect that we'll be able to remove that ton of carbon from the atmosphere that ton of carbon is causing a spiral of impacts right so it is adding to the warming of our environment for those 20 years and by the way we don't even know for sure we will be able to remove that ton of carbon in 20 years time so it's a bit of a hope a bit of a promise but even if it were true one ton of carbon today is not the same as one ton of carbon in 20 years time so so mm. as a result there are um milestones associated with 2030 which is kind of like a point of inflection if we don't hit our 2030 milestones then we really have to think again about how we're going to make our commitment of staying below 1.5 degrees of global warming by 2050 so so it's a really important date from that point of view it's like a a point of inflection if we haven't started well down our journey to net zero by 2030 then the damage we continue to do to our environment is almost irreversible by 2050. And are well, we on course? No. No. We're not on course. No. Oh dear. So you work, um, and I want to come to this in a minute, but you, you work in around the construction and the built environment. So I want to come to that because you're making a difference in that environment with the solution that you've created. Um, but before we get to that, which industry sectors, you know, will have the greatest impact? As Thomas said, you know, are we on course? Um, so, you know, as a as a consumer, I'm thinking, should I fly? You know, what are the things I should be doing? And um, what could the industry, what industries should be having, could have the most impact on, on reaching that if they stood up and took responsibility? Yeah, so... Um... Flying, of course, gets a lot of bad press, really. Uh, and um, but there is a fantastic resource which is called Project Drawdown. Um, it's a web based resource. It, it was the result of many, many years of incredibly um, knowledgeable people working together to kind of analyze and, and unpack this problem of where are the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions um, which sectors and when you look at that material there's there's a book but also um, a website associated with it they um, provide some really fantastic pointers in terms of where should we be looking for the biggest culprits and when I use the word culprit I don't mean that in like you're bad and you're good I mean we if we understand the biggest contributors then that's where we can have the most impact when we turn our attention to reducing the greenhouse gas emissions in those sectors so what we see is that in general energy so energy um, consumed for electricity and and heat that's the single biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions next it's transportation so cars and shipping not actually including aviation in there at all. Aviation is its own separate category. So, so transportation in general, transportation of the goods that we consume, transportation of, of people, etc. 
Um, the third segment that they that they pick out in priority order is buildings or the built environment. So that's also a massive uh, contributor to greenhouse gases. Fourth is manufacturing. So, you know, you think about the energy for manufacturing steel, which, of course, is used in the built environment and it's used for vehicles and it's used for making ships and containers and the the energy associated with making glazing for our buildings, the energy associated with making chemicals like fertilizers and the energy associated with making textiles the energy associated with mining and, and quarrying for cement and also the additional greenhouse gases that result from interfering with the surface of our planet when we undertake those activities. Agriculture, so deforestation, obviously, we're, we're losing what would be called carbon sinks by, by deforestation. We undertake crop burning, which is hugely detrimental to the planet. So burning off the stubble or, or the remnants of um, plants that we've grown and, and harvested. Rice cultivation, interestingly, is one that's non-intuitive. So when we flood land in order to um, grow rice, the, the act of flooding land um, actually produces a lot of and releases a lot of methane. And methane is a much stronger greenhouse gas, much more detrimental greenhouse gas than carbon is. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of very intricate interactions between various aspects of our planet. Um, and and what surprised me when I did the, the course in Cambridge was a lot of things that we maybe intuitively intuitively think well that's good you know eating rice is good surely it's better than eating livestock or uh, and, and we're kind of led to believe that but actually what once you unpeel that onion you find that oh wait a minute that's not quite as straightforward it's not a direct you know you can't join the dots directly between those things and you have to dig into it so in short aviation is quite a long way down the priority order um and and we you know, we do hear a lot about aviation and it's one of those, um, oh, I don't know, there's a term, enfant terrible, right? It's something that we can sort of pinpoint and feel better, like I didn't take that flight or I paid car carbon offsets for my flight. So therefore I've done my piece, right? It's something that we can put in a box and it's somewhat easy to understand, but, um, and we need to address all aspects of our lives, but aviation is not going to be the most impactful place for us to focus our attention. Gosh, that's really interesting. You can reel those off because anybody that's not watching this, Aileen's not got a Bible in front of her where she's reading off all these facts. These are all in her head, which is incredible. So I, I love the fact that you list this. And um, so I've got two questions. I don't know which way to go first. One is I'd love to know at some point, how you've changed your behaviours as a consumer. Uh, oh, that's uh, a good question. Really interesting. But the other one I think maybe we should address first is, um, so Thomas and I might be investing in a, a, new, um, a new development, a new property. How would we go about asking them, and this is where we take you to Preoptima, that you're the CEO of this new um, amazing tech startup in the, um, what would you call it? It's what tech? There must be a name for it, something tech. Prop tech. Prop tech. Prop tech. Prop tech. Um, yeah. And I know you've just, you've just achieved great funding for this. 
So um, you said buildings was the number three culprit. Yes. Um, so you've built Preoptima, you're building Preoptima. Um, do, can you tell us a little bit about that? And also, you know, any of us, if we were going out to buy a new property or invest in a new property, what questions would we actually ask um, to see whether or not they are being responsible? Yeah, so um, you're right. Buildings is is a huge impact on our environment and we can divide buildings or building stock, housing stock or yeah, building stock, I suppose, into two things quite obviously. One is new buildings and one is existing buildings. And um, I, I don't know if you know that we globally are building the equivalent of New York City every month. I find that mind-blowing when you say that, Aileen. Yeah, it, it is. So all five boroughs of New York City, we are building brand new every month. and Somewhere in the world. Somewhere in the world, yeah, exactly. And um, when we look at the emissions associated with new, with well, with any building, we divide, again, that up into two categories one is embodied carbon and embodied carbon is the carbon in the building itself so in the steel in the concrete in the glazing in the you know um the mechanical bricks. electrical plumbing kind of materials in the bricks etc so uh, so embodied carbon is like a sunk cost when you get the keys to your new building there is almost nothing you can do about the embodied carbon right it's it's sunk it's done you now own a chunk of embodied carbon and you can't really do anything about that and then the second category of carbon is called operational carbon and operational carbon is the carbon that we use on a day-to-day basis to run our building so heating the kettle or running our computers or running the central heating etc etc and um, embodied carbon just just again to put things in context we talked about 1.5 degrees of global warming and building new york city every month just the embodied carbon of those new buildings that we need to build because we globally are in a time of population increase and we're also in a time of increased urbanization so just the embodied carbon that we will use to build those buildings for all those new people who want to live in urban areas between now and 2050, that's going to consume 80% of the 2050 carbon budget to stay below 1.5 degrees global warming, unless we do something radically different. Right? So before we heat buildings... Oh, wow. That's them, before all the other categories. For all the other categories, yeah. So is that the largest contributor to the waste? It's one of them, but no, unfortunately, there are lots of things that consume 50% or more of the total carbon budget, which is why we need to look across all the different sectors and make every ounce of impact that we possibly can everywhere. So tell us about, so and um, so the operational carbon is the piece that we as consumers can consider how often do we put the dishwasher on how often do we do the washing machine how hot do we keep the house yes. how much water do we have in the kettle all of these yes exactly we can yes. take personal responsibility yeah um, 
But embodied carbon has to be addressed before, really as early as possible, right? So at the time of the building concept, we need to already be thinking about what's the carbon, the greenhouse gas emissions going to be associated with this building. And how can they reduce that? Is this what Preoptima is doing? They buy Preoptima, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so here I am, I'm a developer and I'm a conscious developer. Um, I don't know whether there are legislations yet that force me. There are. So, so regulation is coming fast because it's a hugely impactful um, environment. And um, so regulation is coming fast. There are about globally 120 different regulations associated with reducing embodied carbon in different countries and different political blocks like the European Union and different different states like in the United States states are regulating independent of each other now that's a good thing because there's lots of regulation happening but it's a bad thing because none of the regulation is the same and there's a lack of standardization um, in the UK there has been uh, legislation associated with this that's been in front of parliament already at least twice but has not passed yet um, but some you know if we're looking for green shoots some cities quite a lot of cities actually are moving ahead of regulation so the city authorities are saying well Mr Mrs Government you can regulate whenever you're ready to in the meantime I'm going to put my own local um, you can't call it regulation or legislation, but my, you know, my own local rules. Oh, the way that they'll give planning authority, planning permission. Exactly, exactly. So, and London happens to be one of the most progressive um, cities. Um, quite recently, there's also been very comprehensive legislation in in New York City, which is called Local Law 97. So yes, um, regulation is coming, and it's going to bite hard. Um, but as with all legislation, it's slower than it needs to be. And what can be done? Because how can you build something without steel, concrete, glass, electrics? How can you how can you do it? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are lots of ways that you can lower the carbon associated with new buildings. And, and with Preoptima, we can it's a software tool and. Basically, from the very first time that you draw a shape of a building, but you don't know, are, am I going to build it with steel? Am I going to build it with concrete? Am I going to build it with timber? Am I going to build it with some new, um, more environmentally friendly materials? How much glazing am I going to have on it? What kind of glazing am I going to have on it, for example? So before you lock in any of those decisions, Preoptima will tell you, first of all, what's the embodied carbon. So it will calculate all of the material quantities that you need in order to build that building in a structurally sound manner in compliance with anything that we need to be aware of locally. Like, for example, if it's a seismic zone, that means the structural equations are a bit different than if it's not a seismic zone. If it's a flood zone, that impacts how you would go about structuring that building. So we will use the proper structural equations, you know, the proper mathematics effectively for that particular location. And so we- So it's optimizing carbon for new builds. Optimizing carbon using AI, yeah. Wow. Uh, amazing. And you have two incredible academics, haven't you, that are involved in this? Tell us a little bit about them. 
Yes, I do. Um, Francesco Pomponi and Bernardino D'Amico, two Italians who've been researching this area together for the last decade. And they had been becoming increasingly frustrated that even though they, they're extremely widely published and cited in academic papers, industry, so the construction industry, the engineering industry, the architecture industry was not yet picking up on on those ideas and recommendations and, and really you know the that that sector is called AEC architecture engineering and, and construction the AEC sector they're all bright people they know that the built environment is a massive impact from a, a sustainability point of view and they want to do the right thing but so far they've not had a tool that can really help them at the right time, which is as early as possible in the design stage where you can really make the most impact. And so it was really through meeting Bernardino and, and Francesco in Cambridge that we decided, yes, this is the right place to focus our professional capability for the next number of years. Oh, so you met them on the sizzle course? I met them through an accelerator in, in Cambridge, yeah. How amazing. Oh, How amazing. I see. I see. Oh, the story is complete. Really, your destiny, isn't it? How fantastic. It shows the importance of um, going into little communities and finding yeah. the right people. So this word, when I hear the word greenwashing, okay, I assume that that's actually, if you said to someone, are oh, you greenwash that, that would be like, that would be like a real, oh dear. Yeah. Tell me more about what this phrase greenwashing means. Yeah, so so greenwashing is is kind of a well the the phrase itself means that um I I don't know, you know, you have a a pig. I don't know, I'm just don't know why I've chosen pig, but you have a pig and a pig is pink, but you paint the pink the pink pig green and so now it looks like it's sustainable, right? But actually it's exactly the same thing. So so greenwashing is a term that just refers to people maybe somewhat artificially or somewhat misleadingly um, implying that their product is now in some way green or good for the environment and they're just doing a little label over it really to for marketing reasons and for csr look good there's a lot of that in the supermarket in fmcg products there's a lot of it everywhere thomas so and and you know when you see the word new greener um then and and usually they'll have pictures of a tree or a plant or something on it as well well greener might mean you know it's one percent better than it was yesterday um it doesn't actually mean it's good it just means it's better than it was right give me a star because i've done a little bit better but you know and and it's it is it can be very clever and very misleading but there are you know and, and that's a little bit tongue in cheek, but actually greenwashing has some very serious impacts. So, you know, we see huge, highly pollutant organizations like um, the petrochemical companies, right? There was a, a lot of uproar and continues to be about, for example, Shell. And I, I don't mean to name and shame any one company, but but Shell is a good example that, but there are similar examples for all of them, but Shell was called out last year when they um, published their market forecasts because um, in their business plan, 
they, whilst a lot of their annual report was focused on what they're doing to um, increase renewable energy sources, their entire business plans, all of the numbers that they were committing to the market, to the shareholders, had a little asterisk. And when you read the asterisk in the small print at the bottom of the page, it said, does not include any transition to renewables. So, you know, they kind of lead you to believe that they're on this journey. But actually, when you dig into it, their business plan is business as usual. That's how they expect. Legal disclosure, so. Yeah, yeah. Because I can see what you mean about it being the sort of really evil because it is misleading us all it, as, it as consumers that might be wanting to do right. Um, yeah, and, and so I can I really can understand that. So as we we also, go, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say we also see it in relation to um, the carbon offset sector, and and you know, so people paying extra money, like uh, I mentioned for for flying, you generally when you book a flight, you have an option to say add on an extra certain amount of money to offset the cost of your flight. Well, that's kind of good. But you really need to know where is that offset going to? And and, and again, like I said, that the AE sector, AEC sector is very willing to change. They're just hamstrung because they don't have the right tools. The same can be said where airlines, you know, they want to do the right thing. They want to invest the offset money in things that will literally offset the damage that's associated with the carbon consumed for that flight. But a lot of the um, people who take the offset money and then claim to invest it in good things, right, reforestation, etc. Again, there have been a lot of scandals about the low success rates of of those projects. So, um, again, there are, you know, some systemic issues which lead to greenwashing uh, and we need to fix those. Wow. Yeah, that's very, very powerful to share that here, actually. You're a serious expert, Aileen. Yeah, it's about this education. You're educating us all here. So as we go to the top of the show, my goodness, we've gone fast, actually, here. I would love to know, so to, you know, as, you know, in our personal lives and also as business owners, a lot of our, mem our members and connections are business owners, what, what's within our, our gift to do to make a difference? Okay, well, I'll take the personal ones first. So first of all, um, I would say think about the power of your pound. Think about the power of, of your money. Um, so a lot of us, if we're, if we're lucky, have money in, invested in pension funds, for example. So ask your pension provider, what are you investing in? Are you investing in green things? Are you investing in petrochemical companies? Are you investing in companies who claim to be one thing, but under the surface, they're not, right? So putting yeah. pressure on for a investment of your money into um, areas of sustainable investment is a very impactful thing that you can do. Um, putting pressure on your energy provider, right? So, um, we all know energy is super expensive right now. And unfortunately, as a result of that, um, there has been a bit of a return to uh, non-green ways of producing energy. So there have been, for example, coal mines reopened in the last 12 months, which is understandable, but hugely disappointing. So putting pressure on your energy provider for um, to continue their path towards renewable energy sources. And then think about the 
the power of your personal consumption. So waste less. Do, do we need to buy that? Do we need to make that trip? Do I need to eat that? Do I need to use it? Can I, do I, you know, do I need the heating this high? Can I wear a jumper? Have I got something that I'm about to throw out? Can I repair it? Can I walk or take a bike or take a scooter or take public transport instead of driving my car? Um, think about secondhand. Are there any viable secondhand alternatives to what, you know, the thing that you are feeling like you, you want to, to buy? Um, to go back to your house or your, your building, Penny, that you were talking about, um, one of the things with, with existing buildings is, we I talked about operational carbon. Um, so if you feel like, like I do at home, I live in, a, in an old building and um, it's not the warmest, it's, you know, it hasn't got modern day construction methods, so it loses heat. And because it's losing heat, I'm spending extra money on on operational energy to keep it warm. And there's a temptation to do things like maybe replace windows with triple glazing or put extra insulation in in the attic or in the walls, etc. And and these are actually, you know, again, coming back to the term greenwashing, we're led to believe that these are jolly good things to do, aren't they? And um, a, a good place to invest but actually um, there's a phrase which is whole life carbon which is very important and 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 you asked about what questions to ask mm -hmm. asking about whole life carbon impacts is very important and powerful uh, you probably will get a blank stare when you ask that question but if we think about changing double glazing to triple glazing for example the Yes, you save on your day-to-day -day energy costs because triple glazing will keep your home a bit warmer. But the embodied carbon in triple glazing is massive. So the amount of energy that's needed to manufacture triple glazing is enormous. And so you, when you make the change on your windows, what you're doing to the planet actually is you're giving the planet a carbon spike, right? You're giving your home a carbon spike. You're now saying, I'm the proud owner of more embodied carbon today than I was yesterday. But it's gonna save me 10 pounds a month on my operational energy. But actually the payback for the planet in carbon terms of changing double to triple glazing in the UK is somewhere between 17 and 20 years. And that's a statistic from the glazing industry itself. So think, you know, it, it's it's so easy to be misled and you think you're doing the right thing. And actually, it can be quite devastating when you find out you haven't done the right thing. Wow. So, carrying on that before we go on to what business owners can do. What do you think about solar panels on houses and things? Is there, is there any chance that that's greenwashing as well? Uh, it, I, I wouldn't call that greenwashing, but undoubtedly there are embodied carbon impacts to solar panels and it's important to ask that whole life carbon impact question but I think solar panels versus triple glazing the payback is better yeah yeah that's really interesting 
Wow. So, um, yeah, I hope everybody's loving this. I'm loving this education. I'm thinking about all the people I want to share this um, this, this uh, show to, actually. So um, let's finish off with, um, you know, as business owners or as people in a business that maybe not be the owner, but you might be able to influence your senior management. What are the sort of things that we should be thinking of? Yeah, so um, bigger organisations in general, you'll hear and you'll see in their annual reports that they have made commitments to being on a net zero journey. You might have heard, heard the phrase science based targets. Um, which is uh, there's an organization which helps you understand where are you today and how do you scientifically set yourself targets that are achievable for your business. Um, and there is a really nice uh, categorization, um, again, which you've probably heard of, which is you, you'll have heard people talking about focusing on their scope one, scope two, scope three emissions and and so those are terms that you know I think every organization um, should be at least familiar with and decide whether they to what extent are they appropriate for the size of your buildings so um, scope one emissions for example is the the emissions that you make directly for example running your boilers or vehicles or machinery in in your factory scope two are the emissions associated with the energy that you consume. So when you buy energy from provider A versus provider B, depending on the carbon intensity of the energy that you're buying, that's your, your scope two emissions. Unfortunately, really, scope three is everything else, right? So, so scope three is everything you buy from your suppliers. It's how do your staff get to work every day? It's what happens when my product goes out into the big bad world and, you know, does it do good or, or does it, uh, um, it incur um, additional greenhouse gas emissions? And so scope three tends to be really very complex for people to get their head around. But nonetheless, it is useful. It's a useful exercise just to think about, well, if it were my business, you know, what what do I do that falls into each of those categories and what should I what should I consider doing about it? But on a very simple um, basis for smaller organizations like many of us run, um, think about questions like, are you paying um, to heat an office space, but all of your team is at home on Monday and Friday? Right. So are you are you heating space? And there's nobody in it. Are you paying energy costs that are actually not necessary and, and consuming energy um, that isn't necessary? Think about how do staff get to work? Walmart, actually, in, in um, the US massive organization, as you know, um, are building um, a, a new headquarters and they're very deliberately building it with cycle lanes and, and lots of incentives for their staff to be able to cycle to work and, and building in an, in a location where it's easy for the majority of their staff to, to get to work. Think about bizarrely um, your website and where your data is stored and the data center that, it, that um, stores your data. Have you asked any questions of those providers about the carbon intensity um, that that they're using, and, and of course other things like company cars and flight yeah, yeah. merchandise. Right, but it's it's really um, you know once on, as you said 
I am pretty passionate about it and I've probably spent way too about the details but once you get going on this subject you can't really stop it's phenomenal it is phenomenal I mean you've given us so much to think about and I'm thrilled that we've got this show and our podcast and um and I know a lot of people will enjoy listening to this because it affects all of us so I think it's perfect really powerful I'm trying to think of the list of things I can do to begin with in a tiny way I should at least make sure that Amazon doesn't deliver every day with one packet of staples or one this or that we've really got to start grouping up and only having one delivery a week or something um that's for sure um Amazingly powerful. So um, anybody who is interested in chatting to Aileen or maybe has some um, connections in this built environment, I'd love you to spread the word about the show and about Aileen. You can connect with Aileen on LinkedIn. Aileen Ryan can obviously contact Thomas or myself if you'd like us to make a connection for you to Aileen. But I know you've just travelled over to Boston to do some work there. Um, and then the week after next you're in Japan so I, I know that you're a busy lady to have given us this time Aileen it's been incredible and you've educated us all so thank you Jenny. And, and if anyone wants help or advice about how to think about their business in sustainable terms I'm super happy to um that's to... very generous that's very generous because I know that's not your your main business focus so that's uh, that's that reflects your passion for this subject so thank you so much And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please spread the word about this show because it is powerful and we can all make a difference if we're educated. I think that is the key thing. So many, many thanks, everyone. And uh, have a great rest of your day or evening, depending on what time you're listening to this. Thanks a lot, guys.